Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis, and welcome to one of a couple of brand new types of episodes that we'll be releasing between our usual Queer Movie Club episodes. This is Hot Takes, where I'll be joined by a guest who's come ready to go with three Queer Movie Hot Takes that they'll need to persuade me of in three arguments or less. I'm very excited to have my friend and shameless Marvel fanboy, Corey, as our first ever guest of the show. Hi, Corey. Hello, Rowan. And hello, everyone listening. Wow. What an intro. I love that your intro for me now is always Marvel, despite the fact that I'm not always talking about Marvel. I feel like I should have brought a Marvel thing today. Here's the thing. If you send me a thousand voice memos <laughs> about every Marvel show that's ever come out, that's going to be my go-to introduction for you. You need to send me voice notes about whatever you want to be known for in order for me to now change your introduction. You are you are getting yourself in for something. You're... you're you're not going to enjoy all the voice notes I'm going to be sending you after this then. Unfiltered. No, I love a good voice note. <laughs> <laughs> so you are our very, very first guest on this new show. And you have not told me your hot takes in advance, which I'm very excited to find out and, and hear all of your reasonings and your uh, and your arguments and all that stuff. And I, so I have no idea if I'm going to be fully in support of what you're saying or utterly outraged at everything you have to bring to the table today. So would you like to hit me with hot take number one? Okay. I think hot take number one is an easier one. Hot take number one. All love triangles would be improved if the characters were bi. Every single one. I am obsessed with this already. Okay, so take take me through this. Give me give me your arguments. Okay. So before I do little argument number one, I'll just give a little bit of an explanation. Oh yeah, ex- give me the explanation. When I say love triangle, I mean any love polygon. So any any number of shapes you want for people to be in love would be improved by all of the characters, not just some, all of the characters being bi. <laughs> and <laughs> now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing how ridiculous this sounds. No, commit, commit to the bit, Corey. Argument number one is that it's more interesting because there are more interactions, all right? You've got a normal love triangle, okay? Let's use Twilight as an example, something that I haven't even, I've not even watched all the Twilight movies. Twilight, you've got Bella, you've got Edward, and you've got Jacob right? And Jacob and Edward both like Bella, but they can't like each other because they're straight boys, you know? It doesn't work. Mm. You've just got Bella as this intersection, but if Edward and Jacob were to like each other, boom. What if Edward and Jacob got together? That's another interaction there. It's a perfect way to sort of just add some more. There's there's more going on there, more character interactions. You don't have just people, oh, I hate you because you want the same girl that I want. It's a case of well, what if I want you to? More interactions means more better. Okay, so already I have a a potential comment on the example that you've chosen to use, which is that, and I think that because you haven't finished all of the Twilight movies or books, this might have passed you by, and that's why you've chosen this particular example. But are you aware that this love, supposed love triangle is in fact a love square, and the fourth corner of the square is Bella and Edward's infant child? I'm look. I'm well aware of Rune Esme, <laughs> and I detest her name. I detest almost everything that happens <laughs> to do with that character. And I like to just pretend that she doesn't exist because then we have to get into the conversation of does imprinting does that come into love triangles? Is it not a love triangle and then an imprinting square? If you add that in, I don't know. So I think your hot take is your hot take is love polygons would be improved if everyone was bisexual and there was no imprinting, like in brackets, asterisk, like also no imprinting. 
Oh, absolutely. I think also no imprinting is, it's just an addendum to my life at this point. That's how, that's how much impact these films that I haven't fully watched have had on me. Just, yes. Yeah, just assume every hot take from now on, both Corrie's, and you know what, everyone who comes to the show has an asterisk that's also also no imprinting. And I fully support that. I've You've got no arguments here. Fantastic precedent to set. <laughs> so, okay, hit, hit me with your second argument, because you're making a strong one so far. This does seem like it would add, add to the drama, add to the connections. Okay, good. I'm glad. I've built this one. Just, I, I've actually structured this one, I think, quite well. So the first argument is more interactions. But more interactions means more outcomes, okay? So if there's more outcomes, then you, you're left guessing, like, what's going to happen? Is Edward going to end up with Jacob? Is Bella going to end up with Edward or Jacob? Who knows? We don't know. There are more outcomes. And so you don't, you know, usually when you're watching a film, you're like, oh, well, this character's obviously going to end up with that character. But if there's a love square... Gosh, you've got so many different interactions and people can people can end up with each other. Also, also, you can have the coveted polycule. You can have a little you can have a little thruple going on there as well. So many things happening, you're left guessing, you don't know. Films just become far, far better because there's so many more options to choose from. You don't have to go with just like, you know, the first boyfriend or the other one, the bad boy that comes in in the second film. Again, I'm talking about Twilight. I hope that I'm being accurate because I haven't seen it. Maybe the Hunger Games. What if Gail and Peter ended up together, huh? Mm. That'd be interesting. What if Katniss just left because she doesn't care about either of them? That would make more sense. You're not wrong. It would. It in fact would. My favourite part of, I can't remember if it's in the films, but in the books, when she's trying to decide between them, she functionally is like, okay, well, this one bakes bread, but this one hunts. But I can hunt, but I can't bake bread. I guess it's Peter. And yeah, I feel like that would be maybe improved if the boys had their had other options. <laughs> than just waiting to see whether she she needed someone who could bake bread or hunt more. Well, this is because I think this is a really a really good example as well. I'm glad you've brought this up because I'm pretty sure that while well, he bakes bread and he hunts is in the book because there's not really a, a huge love triangle in the book. It's more focused on you know the PTSD of having to kill numerous children. Mm -mm, of course, of course. Yeah, which the film interestingly chose to set aside in favor of which hot boy do I want. Now, the film chose to set that aside in favour of which hot boy do I want, but also, do the hot boys want each other? Perfect. It's it's so much better, because which hot boy do I want would absolutely take over your life in place of that PTSD from... From the from getting Hunger rid of Games. all those kids. <laughs> yeah. This is very much reminding me of, you know those puzzles where there's a shape and then in the shape there are triangles, and it's like how many triangles are in this shape? And at first yeah. you think there's just one triangle and then there's so many more. I feel like this is like, there's so many combinations you could go to. Because we're only talking right now about Edward, Bella and Jacob or Katniss, Gail and Peter. But you could mm. have Katniss, Gail, Peter, Edward, Bella and Jacob. That's I have got I have got one that I've got I've got one that will pull out all the stops. Okay, okay. a Midsummer's Night's Dream. <gasps> Boom! Every single person falling in love with every single other person across gender lines, Incredible. and then ending up together in the end. Mwah. Perfect. Even get Bottom in there. Amazing. He yeah, obviously. I, there was no question that that <laughs> that Bottom was going to be part of this equation. But Bottom human or or Bottom donkey. I think the top was donkey, the bottom was human. There we go. It's all right. all, all of the above. 
this this is making a lot of sense to me to be honest i kind of wanted to find some kind of hole in your argument but ultimately it's just making sense to me and i think that as well because you you added in their polyamory if i feel like that adds another level to it which i only appreciate more you know what i mean like this is all this is all making sense okay i guess here's a counter argument are we tired of love triangles altogether is there a hotter take where we just take love triangles off the table i thought this i'm glad that you've said this because i've got argument number three hit me which is i think a direct answer to this the reason that love triangles are boring we don't want love triangles anymore it's because there's no stakes it's which pretty boy will you choose which pretty girl will you choose non-binary people don't come into this because non-binary people aren't in films but if, if we have every character in a love triangle be bisexual there are more stakes because of the two things i've said already the more interactions and more outcomes there's more at stake here there's more to lose there's more to gain it's way more interesting it's way more exciting the only reason love triangles are boring now is because oh we've got to see which which straight couple is going to be straight but if they could all end up together perfect resolution everyone's happy no one's sad it's so much better have you seen this particular hot take in action before? Do you have any examples of love triangles that you've seen where we, you know, we, this is a theory right now. You're a science boy. From what I remember of science, when I did do it as a child, you've got a hypothesis and you've got to test it. Do we have any examples currently or is this new waters that we're entering with this concept? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say the first Scooby-Doo film is an example of this. I choose to believe that the mystery gang, they are not, they are not simply four friends. They are a polycule. They're a, they're a little group of polyamorous pals hanging out together solving mysteries. So uh, far <laughs> be it from me to question the additional hot take you've added onto this one with the theory that the Scooby gang are in fact a polyamorous like quadrant and a dog. <laughs> what evidence have you brought to me to, to say that this is happening and this is, this is working as a relationship, as a love square? I'm going to be honest, Rowan, it's just vibes. It's just, it's pure vibes. And you know what? That is the heart of queer cinema, to be honest, Corey. Vibes is what we had for a very long time. We've only really had solid evidence for a, sh a short few decades. And so, in, in this court of queer cinema, vibes do count as evidence. Fantastic. I'm so glad. Have I, have I convinced you? Do I win? Have I, have I won? I wish I had some kind of sound effect to like a bell or something that could be like, ding, ding, <laughs> you've won. Yes, I fully already was on board as soon as you said it. I, I also think that this would be much more interesting. And I feel like this is a, an immediate sell for me. If, a, if someone was to come up to me and say, hey, read this book. It's got a love triangle but it's a proper triangle. It's not just like an angle. Exactly. Without a third line joining the, the last two points. It is a full triangle. I'm there. I, I, don't, I don't have to know anything else about the book. Like I'm intrigued. So yeah, you already have me and, and giving me those arguments, giving me those examples, hinging it on Twilight, a bold move, but I think it paid off in the end because it is such a classic love triangle that I think could only be improved by the bold decision to not have one of them be in love with a fetus. <laughs> so that, that completely convinced. Ding, ding, ding. Would you like to bring me hot take number two if on the hot on the hot take a meter 
Is this spicier? Is this hotter? Yeah, I think this is, you know, I think it's increasing in levels of spice. You Love know? that. Definitely in levels of my own personal spice. We're going we're gonna to be getting very heated towards the end. This, this middle one, I think it's a, it's a little bit hotter. In fact, I've, I'm so bold that I have included only a single... <laughs> single argument because i am so confident with this oh one. wow so listeners at home when i sent cory the sort of uh, instructions for preparing for this episode i did say that he could try and convince me in three arguments or less now i was kind of thinking that he was going to prepare the three arguments and then i might just be like no we only needed that one it was good enough but he everyone is so confident in this next hot take it's only going to take one argument to persuade me. And assumedly, you at home as well. Corey, take it away. Call Me By Your Name, the tentpole, groundbreaking gay film of the summer, is not a gay film. <gasps> Everyone, pause for a moment to absorb that when me and Jazza conceived of this format, truly, we could not have predicted the wild sentences that were about to come our way from our first guest. Okay, you know what? I'm I've absorbed it. I've I'm I'm ruminating. My brain is going. Hit me with your one and only argument. <clears throat> the characters are not gay. Okay, so Corey, let me elaborate. For those <laughs> for those at home who haven't seen this movie or or you know somehow aren't familiar with it. Can you take us through the plot? Like, what is what of this movie about that might make people assume that these were gay characters? Well, for one thing, there is an awful lot of gay kissing and sex. But I, 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 I still maintain that these characters are not gay. So let's use the actors' names because it's much easier for everyone to picture. So Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet are two men, two bros. Timothy Chalamet lives with his parents. They've gone to Italy for the summer, and Army Hammer comes to, you know, work with his dad, I think, I assume, and then they hit it off. There's there's a few sparks of love, and uh, they start getting together, and it's a lovely time, and by the end, Army Hammer has to go back home to America, and ends up ending his relationship with Timothy Chalamet, and we find out at the end that Army Hammer has a wife that he's going to get married to. Very interesting. Mm. And also in the beginning, Timothy Chalamet has a girlfriend. Okay. So we have the background info. Give us the reasoning. So the reasoning here is, I think, fairly simple. Everyone's called it, oh, it's the, this, it's the gay film because the main sort of relationship of the film is two men. And so saying that that is a homosexual relationship is it's kind of true. But also... Everyone is very ready to invalidate the fact that at least one of the main characters seems somewhat enthusiastically attracted to women, mm. right? So Timothy Chalamet's character has a girlfriend at the beginning and has sex with her. And not in a sense of like, oh gosh, I hope no one finds out my secret. I hope no one knows that I'm, that I'm a big old gay. He seems happy enough with it. He seems good to go. I don't think there's any reason to assume that he is not attracted to women just because he's attracted to a man. And, you know, obviously Army Hammer's character, at the end, spoilers, I'm sorry, does end up with a woman. Now, I think that's maybe a little bit more reluctant. But still, there is nothing sort of, as far as I'm aware, explicitly in the film to suggest that these characters are both entirely gay men. And so I think saying that it's a gay film 
It's not true. It's not true. And also, I really feel like the experiences in it are far more bisexual than they are anything else. Boom. You know what? You you came out very controversially. <laughs> I but did. But then you, you did a little twist in there. Because for a second, I was like, how is this boy going to convince me that that peach scene was straight? <laughs> but you didn't do well, that at all. Well, we all know what a peach emoji is supposed to represent, right? True love. <laughs> oh and romance only yeah you, you this is this is uh so confession time everyone and i can't believe i must do this on a podcast literally called the queer movie podcast i have not seen call me by your name wow yeah. i didn't know that you hated bisexual men so much yeah it's 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 been a real struggle for me um and i'm really coming to terms with it now live on the air yeah i just there was just something about timothy chalamet army hammer age gap romance that just wasn't calling me by any name and I <laughs> so I have I haven't done it and there was part of me that kind of just assumed that at some point we would do it for the podcast or for the the watch alongs that we do on the discord and that that would be the point at which I would watch it because I didn't know whether I would be able to do it sort of through my own volition on my own time mm. but this is from what I understand about the movie this makes a whole lot of sense and you know, we're all, it's all fun and games on the hot take show. But also, this is kind of an interesting point about the idea of uh, bisexuality being kind of erased from a lot of these discussions that something gets labeled as like a gay movie or a gay classic or something like that. And I think it kind of does a disservice to both kind of communities, both identities, that you have this real erasure of bisexuality at all from that kind of narrative around the movie. But then you also have gay people who are watching a movie where it's like oh this this also isn't me like this is this is actually f not for bi people but this this character is bisexual and this is kind of been not marketed wrong but like the discussion around it seems to be kind of lacking and and not quite what what anyone was expecting so that makes a lot of sense to me yeah i mean the thing is you say marketing i which I think it is, it, in part, it is marketing, but also I feel like everyone that watches it as well. But I mean, not to not to have a go at, at the gays, but even the community watching it will talk about it as the gay film, which is interesting because uh, I think, especially because this is about two men, you have this whole thing where men can't experiment with other men. Men can't show any interest in another man in any way without being labelled as gay. Mm. And bisexuality for a man is generally a case of, well, you're really gay, but you're just hiding it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, and it's interesting to see it even come in in this sense of, oh, well, this is a film where the characters seem to quite explicitly be interested in both men and women, <laughs> but we're going to call it gay anyway. And, and I would understand if it didn't come into the plot, but the girlfriend is a fair part of sort of Elio's story as a character. And the sort of fiance turned wife for Army Hammer is a major, major thing that happens at the end of the film. So it's interesting to me that we we kind of very much ignore that for, I guess, this maybe more simple story of these two characters are, are gay boys in love. Well, gay boy and gay man in love. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I think that what you said about the idea of for bisexual men, there's this assumption of like, oh, you're really gay. And I think that for bisexual women, there is this idea of like, oh, you're really straight, but you just like to experiment a bit. Like it's just a bit of a dabble. Hmm. And I think both of those are, you know, tied with the idea that being attracted to men is the priority 
and that everything else is kind of surplus to requirement. Which, you know, not a thing, but there we go. As a man, as a man, I think being attracted to at least man is very important. Me, me. Being attracted to me is very, very important. For everyone. So, for everyone, yes. I I would very much like to exist as an attractive being across all set lines of sexuality, you know. So... I, I can I can understand the patriarchy's goal there to um <laughs> you know I can empathize with that but no no seriously it is it is really interesting as well because I, I think it also comes into how we describe those relationships in terms of we've got homosexual relationships which could include two people that aren't homosexual mm. technically you know and I think it's I, I think it's just not necessarily bad or problematic it's just an interesting and sometimes frustrating quirk of the language mm. that we use. I was know? gonna say, yeah, that language quirk of how do you refer to things? Like, what are you trying to make clear, right? Like within mm. this, are you trying to make your own identity clear or the relationship between two people? Like, it, how do you describe a, a bisexual relationship when one person's bi, when two people are bi, when it's different genders, same genders? Like, I think that, that there's not necessarily expansive enough language for that mm. to be like immediately obvious from like one word and it does have to be more complex and maybe people are just bad at being complex and, and it's a lot easier to just kind of use the, use the slightly wrong word that says what you want to say about this relationship, which, you know, for people talking about call me by your name is like, they gay, look, look, we get some, some gay, mm. even if that's not actually accurate. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's seen as gay rep, but it's, it's, I don't think it really is gay representation, you know? And I, I do think it, it's just interesting. I, I mean, personally, I think that if it is two bisexual people in a relationship, that, that relationship isn't, that relationship isn't a gay relationship necessarily, mm. you know? Or a straight one. Or a straight one. Yeah, which is, I think, an issue. I think it's a bisexual relationship. Mm -hmm. relationship. And I definitely think that when it is two bisexual people, when if it's a bisexual person and a gay person, or a bisexual person and a straight person, it's a slightly different story. But when it's two bisexual people, I genuinely think that affects the relationship in a fairly unique way. But yeah, and also, I'm going to put it out there, just in case anyone's going to come at me. My brain side just tried to tell me there, come at me by your name. If anyone tries to come at me by your name... Uh, <laughs> if anyone tries to come at me by your name, yes, the characters could also be pansexual or any other kind of polysexual. Mm. I'm going to leave that one up to you. But yeah, no, Call Me By Your Name is not a gay film. I've had that inside me since it came out and I've not been, I've not had an outlet for it. So thank you very much for, for giving me that. I'm so glad I could give it to you. I did want to ask, so this is not necessarily about Call Me By Your Name, but because I think it's not quite, you kind of hinted at the idea of maybe there being some, not necessarily coercion, but not necessarily enthusiastic relationship at the end for one of the characters with a woman. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago that, people were essentially like forced into relationships that were straight mm -hmm. relationships if they were gay. How do you think about those sort of historic narratives or whether that's fictional or I guess with, with real people where we do have this complicated relationship between, you know, was this person bisexual because it was a woman who seemed to have relationships with women but married a man or can we label them as gay? Like what what is your thoughts? I know we're going slightly on a tangent here, but I, I do think it's kind of relevant mm. on like, can we label anyone in history in that way? Like do do we know anything for sure if we if they didn't necessarily have the language to describe it? Like how do you as, as a bisexual person kind of find bisexual people in history to feel like like there's, you know, some kind of connection to or affiliation with or anything like that, or is it is it not possible? Is it is it more of sort of like a nebulous queerness in history that that we can't really map onto today's ideas of identity? 
Yeah, I, well, I think you, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head with that last one. But I do have to say that us going on a tangent, wow, who'd have thought we'd do that? I know, so out of character. Never once happened. <laughs> yeah, so no, I think that in, in terms of sort of looking back through history, unless someone has explicitly described themselves in some way, yeah, I don't think you can apply our modern conceptions. Because even looking back, not even a hundred years ago, you have people describing themselves as transsexual, whereas now that's kind of out of fashion today. And there's a bunch of different words, some of which, honestly, I don't even necessarily want to use on this podcast because mm. I don't want to be too too spicy. But there were words that people explicitly used to describe themselves, whereas nowadays we might call them trans or we might call them non-binary or we might use any other kind of word. You know, that's the thing. This was like 50, 60 years ago. Oh, wait, no, more than 50, 60 years ago, because time continues to move forwards. But, you know, less than 100 years ago, let's say, that these words were entirely different. So if you're if we're going to look back through history, even to, you know, sort of 100, 200 years ago, it becomes really, really difficult to sort of accurately use our own terms to apply to other people. And I don't think it's I don't think it's actually terribly important to find representation of specific identities throughout history because ultimately specific identities it doesn't it doesn't matter in that context. All that matters is this person wasn't straight or cisgender in some way. They sort of broke those normal societal conventions in that sense. Their specific identity is sort of not hugely relevant so long as it's not it, it wasn't that relevant to themselves you know because then we get into the, the the whole issue of erasing anything that is not inherently binary you know mm. which is an issue in and of itself although if you do want to look back and see a i don't know a lady pirate that loved other lady pirates and say she was a lesbian pirate i think that's ultimately fine you're not really harming anyone they're all dead it's it's good they're not going to be too wound up but um and also if they were like if here's yeah. the thing though if they were wound up about it i don't necessarily see it as a bad thing mm. that a hot lesbian pirate ghost now wants vengeance on me like that i'm not gonna lie cory like that's almost the dream rowan what are you doing after this i think we have a, a spec script we need to write about a hot lesbian pirate haunting someone <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, we're on it sorry guys we're gonna end the podcast early because me and cory need to make millions with this genius <laughs> idea haunting to lovers story oh I love my it. god I <laughs> <laughs> dear listener i have a question for you would you like to raise money while procrastinating online this isn't some magical dream world this is an actual thing that you can do with tab for a cause it is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while just doing your own thing typing away on the internet. So basically how it works is whenever you open a new tab, you will see two things. One, a beautiful photo and two, a small ad. Part of that ad's money then goes towards a charity, not just any charity, a charity of your choice. If that sounds like your kind of thing and honestly, why would it not be? Then you can join Team Queer Movie Podcast by signing up at tabforacause.org forward slash queer movie. Check out the other shows that are part of the Multitude Collective. I think that you like hmm, stories, you like queerness, you like a good time, in which case I think you'd also like Spirits. So Spirits was actually the first podcast that I listened to from the Multitude Collective and I'm obsessed. I was obsessed when I'm still obsessed now. Basically, it is a mix of like history, storytelling and comedy that focuses on you know, folklore, mythology, the occult, all of that good stuff, but specifically looking at it from a feminist, sort of queer 
and modern lens. It is fantastic. Basically, what happens is they get together to learn about different stories from mythology and folklore, and they also get together to have a to have a little drink. Hence, spirits and spirits. Genius. So every week, the hosts of the podcast, Mythology Buff Julia, who little behind the scenes info is in fact the editor for the queer movie podcast and her childhood friend amanda get together to discuss like stories that they have found that week so not only do they talk about the sort of origins of mythology that old that old school stuff they also talk about how it has fed into things like major film franchises for example so lord of the rings wonder woman how those kind of stories of old are connected to the things that we watch today there are also these amazing episodes which have viewers submitting their own legends of like the place that they grow up or their particular culture or folklore and it is amazing to hear about all of these like creepy or interesting stories from around the world that people like you who are like listeners to the podcast have submitted to them. And obviously you're listening to the Queer Movie Podcast and we have only just started. But if you're looking for a podcast that has way more of a history to it, a mythology you might say, Spirits will be amazing for you. They have been going for literally years, like five years now. They have over 250 episodes, tons of different topics to dip your toe into. They have um, everything from the analysis of how mental health is portrayed in mythology, creepy modern ghost stories, a roundup of different werewolf mythology from around the world. Just brilliant stuff all around. So if that sounds like it is up your alley, then you can dive in at spiritspodcast.com or by searching for spirits wherever you download your podcasts. And if you end up liking the podcast, which I'm sure that you will, and you want to follow along with them on social media, please message them and tell them that I sent you. Okay, that's it from me. Back to the show. Okay, so I think it's time to move on to the third and final hot take. And from what you've said so far, I'm anticipating this being the spiciest. This is, you know, we can only take one little drop of this hot sauce because otherwise we would die. So take it away. Oh my gosh. I'm almost scared to say this. This is a piece of queer cinema that is very new that you well know I have had a very, a very tumultuous relationship with for some time. And I actually struggled to find what exactly my hot take was because I had to make sure that I'd be able to get through all of it in the allotted time. So, um, I have I have come up with this single sentence. <clears throat> Everybody's talking about Jamie is a bad film that exists to exploit and pander to cis white men and straight people that are liberal but find gays fun and cool. You packed it into that sentence. Okay, <laughs> so for for anyone who doesn't know, everybody's talking about Jamie. It was originally a musical in the West End and it recently got an adaptation on film, which is pretty uh, accurate to the to the stage musical, actually. it's They've kind of swapped mm. some songs around, but in general, it's it's there's not any kind of like different ending, twist ending or anything like that. It's, it's essentially, it's like based on a true story and it's about a boy in a boy in England who wants to become a drag queen. He's like 16 years old. It's his dream, mm. and it's kind of him following his dream and the the pitfalls and the triumphs along the way. So very very classic kind of like British clash of cultures type movie like Billy Elliot but more gay vibes in terms of like the overall kind of foundations of of what the movie's trying to do. So Corey Hit me with your reasoning behind that extremely long sentence hot take. 
that you just gave. Okay. So I think what I'll start with is the white men part. So I've said that it exists to sort of exploit and pander to cis white men and let's say liberal allies in quotes. And the, the white part is the very obvious thing of between the stage musical and the film, they changed the main character to white again. So initially in the stage play, the character was white because the, the real person is white. And then they had a good run of casting mixed race actors in this role, which was interesting because otherwise, you know, other than a, a you know, a couple of sort of, I think two Asian characters, it's a very, it's a very white story. Uh, so this was an interesting little thing. But when they transitioned to the screen, they decided to remove that added little bit of diversity. And I, I wonder why. Perhaps that a white face is a little bit more marketable to your target audience <laughs> of liberal allies and cis white gay men who really seem to see themselves in this story. Yeah, so this is this is totally true. They had this lead character who was based on like the actual Jamie and then they kind of did this casting that wasn't just for one run, right? Like I feel like there's been like two or three mixed race guys like in the role yeah um it wasn't just like a one-off stunt casting kind of thing it almost i would say honestly to the point where it, it was one of those things that it, it kind of became a part of the role to an extent you know and it was it, for me it was interesting because uh, if you've if you've seen the film if you've seen the musical you know that the father the dad is very much kind of a macho man. He likes the football and he just wants his son to be his son. He doesn't want his son to be weird and away with the fairies and, you know, dressing up like a lady and all that and all that nonsense. Which I think having a black father in that role was a really interesting, could be like, you know, even though it's a very minor role, it was an interesting little exploration of that sort of masculinity that is sort of pervasive in black men. The inability to sort of even reconcile with some kind of homosexuality. That was interesting to me. That added like a nice little element to it. And I think that's what's important about sort of adding diversity in that way, that you can do it as a lateral move. You can do it if it doesn't add anything, you just want to add diversity, that is fine. That is an okay thing to do, but it's far better when you add some kind of diversity to it. You add an added identity and it elevates by adding something new. For example, making Harry Potter mixed race would add to the character in a really interesting way. I won't get into it right now. I, But I fully agree with you there. I To the point Absolutely. where sometimes I I look at like, I read fan, Harry Potter fan fiction. I know I'm a terrible person still, but like <laughs> I'll read Harry Potter fan fiction or look at fan art and there'll be a moment where I'm like, uh, they'll say something that makes it clear like in the fan fiction that this Harry is white and for a second I'm like wait what and then I'm like oh because yeah he is he, he is in because, the books yeah. so I kind of forgot that for a minute because it's it's so it's people of <laughs> people the fandom have like basically just been like okay Joanne like sure we're just gonna do the better version of this and I fully support it but yeah that makes a lot of sense that there's these these elements of the story that kind of get improved and I do think that because they did make minor but some changes they also potentially have the opportunity within the movie to say okay we originally wrote this role about this white boy mm -hmm. and we changed the casting and it kind of changed maybe the interpretation or the look of it but like what would it mean to actually change it for a mixed race character like was there anything that would have been added or would have been interesting to add that would have like furthered that even more yeah well i mean so obviously as i mentioned the character of the father but jamie himself is obviously breaking sort of boundaries of gender to an extent and again has that sort of relationship with his father and he's also got a whole issue of not really knowing where he belongs and not having a sort of place that, that he could fit in and be himself and i think that obviously very very easily slots into mixed race characters, you know? When you've got a character that feels like they don't fit in, making them mixed race can, you know, often add another element to that. 
add an interesting element that kind of goes along with that. And yeah, it's just interesting because I feel like it, we've we've gotten to a point now, and the film seems to be set in 2020 or 2021. You know, in this in this sort of decade, we're at a point now where generally drag is not as sort of groundbreaking as it was a decade ago when this story actually happened. And so it's kind of hard to believe watching this film that this white gay kid, this cis white gay kid, is so groundbreaking just because he enjoys a little bit of drag, you know? And so adding in almost a sort of racism element to it as well, because then, you know, the bully character that is bullying him, you know, Jamie and his and his friend, is bullying basically the two two of the sort of not white characters in the play, in the musical rather, which is interesting, right? You add that sort of racism element because the bullying isn't just about the character being gay, it's about him and his friend not being white. And also he's gay. It's just that added little thing there. It makes it, I think, a little bit more believable. And ultimately, I think we've had a lot, like quite a lot of stories about gay white men, you know? Not that we've had a lot of stories about gay people, but a lot of the stories about gay people have been about white men. I mean, Moonlight is the only really like major example of here's a story about gay people that isn't about white men. And that was marketed specifically as that, as a deviation from that norm, you know? So I think if we're going to talk about this film as being groundbreaking and being the major, this major story, this, this, this sort of tentpole movie, we need to try a little harder and make it a little bit different from what's come before, you know? Yeah, that makes, makes sense. And I think, you know, I'm not going back on the race of the, the sort of new race of the character makes sense for that. Yeah, you, there we go. Tick, tick, tick. Reason number two. Do you have another another argument? Oh boy, I've got I've got really three solid arguments here. For okay, this one, okay, I'm ready. So I've explained the sort of white part of this, and I want to explain why it's pandering to sort of cis men here. There is a line that is repeated a number of times throughout the film. A boy in a dress is something to be laughed at. A drag queen is something to be feared. As paraphrase, the key point there is a boy in a dress is something to be laughed at. Now, that to someone who is entirely, entirely unaware of, of trans and non-binary people, or even just gender non-conforming people, is absolutely, is absolutely a fair thing to say. And to be fair, at the end of the film, Jamie does show up in a dress as a boy in a dress. But the amount of times that it's explicitly said that a boy in a dress is something to be laughed at, the fact that it's not explicitly said otherwise at the end of the film is just... It's not its not necessarily great. I think it's very easy to come away with the, the message that a boy in a dress is something to be laughed at, and Jamie was very brave for coming to... For coming to his prom as a boy in a dress, you know? Mm. I, I think, honestly, this comes down to the film just... I, I say the film is bad. I think the film is muddled. In its messaging, its character arcs don't make sense. Jamie is a very confident person who then does drag and decides that drag is what makes him confident, and he's not confident, not as not in drag, when that's not at all what we've seen throughout the film. The film is very heavy-handed in some ways, and so I think that if if you say explicitly a boy in, a boy in a dress is something to be laughed at, and you're heavy-handed in all other ways, I don't think you can leave it down to subtext um, <laughs> at the end of the film to kind of go back on that, you know. Okay, so here's the thing. With your first hot take, I was already with you. Mm -hmm. With your second hot take, I was like, I do not know enough about this movie to necessarily have an opinion on the offset. With this third one, yeah. 
I reasonably enjoyed this movie. Like I've seen, I really like the musical. I've seen the musical, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, this is fine." It did, ha- it did kind of suffer in my head from like stage acting on screen. Like a lot of the script and stuff yeah. was, it oh, was gosh. script that made sense for on stage because on stage you kind of do a little bit more expositiony, didacticy stuff, and it sort of works because mm-hmm. it's quite stylized. But when it's in a movie, it just feels very heavy-handed. Um, so there was just that element yeah. of that where I was like, "Oh, I can forgive that. Like it's fine." I will say with this this hot take that you're bringing right now. You're kind of persuading me because I I hadn't really thought about that line in terms of like its implications Mm. because I was like so aware of the, uh, like you said, like already kind of knew all of the stuff around like, actually, that's not true. And like, this is clearly a lesson that's going to be learned and blah, blah, blah. But you're right. Like it doesn't explicitly then counter it in a in a strong enough way at the end yeah ultimately i see this film as being generally and i know and i i have friends that enjoy that are outside of this group that i'm talking about you know so i don't don't take this as me saying this i see a lot of people enjoying this film and that's me saying these are the only people that enjoy this film but i see a lot of people that enjoy this film seem to be the kind of guys that would be on grinder saying no fats no femmes no blacks Mm. you know that absolutely seems to be the kind of they'd be happy doing that or rather you know probably no uh no fat no black no asian that sort of thing because there is this kind of racism and this kind of i guess i mean transphobia that is deep-seated in a particular part of the gay community and this film it, it talks about breaking gender but only through the medium of drag and it's really interesting because it doesn't even get the medium of drag right. This is not this was not one of my arguments. I'm sorry. This is just something that really wound me up. It doesn't get the medium of drag right. Jamie doesn't focus at all on his performance. He doesn't do his own makeup. He doesn't do his own hair. He buys a dress, sure, but it's not a dress that he's picked out or a dress that he's made himself. He does absolutely nothing. We don't see Jamie practicing his dances or practicing his lip syncing or perhaps practicing any form of artistry whatsoever. He just wants to wear a dress. And I think that's just a complete misunderstanding of what drag is generally. And it is just really interesting that it seems to be written from it seems to be written from an outside perspective entirely. It's it's so it's baffling to me that this this film seems to be so just almost wrong about its subject matter. I think the reason that it that it sort of so many people enjoy it and You've said the best thing there, by the way, is that you can forgive this. You can forgive that. I think the reason people forgive so much of the the not great stuff in this film, the stuff that, you know, would in any other film, you'd be like, oh, this is a bad film. The reason that's forgiven is because there is this slight sort of emotional core to Jamie's character that is kind of explicitly said throughout the film rather than <laughs> being implicit or there in any other sense of I am the only gay person in my school. and this is new to everyone and no one knows how to act and it's very difficult for me and i think that's something that resonates with people that are maybe my age or older but with the with the youths nowadays everyone is everyone seems to be queer you know what i mean and you've got the internet where you can find that family it seems that this is this is sort of reaching to a slightly older audience who are willing to look past all of this stuff that is sort of not great about the film because it feels like it's telling their story explicitly the fact that Jamie is an awful selfish character that really no one should like at all. If you actually look at what Jamie does in the film, awful person. But people overlook that because they're not thinking about Jamie as a character. They're thinking, I'm going to put myself in this character's shoes because this character feels like me. You know? Yeah, this is slightly <laughs> becoming a call-out podcast that I'm so sorry. came to. I'd be really interested to know like what young people now think of this because I, I'm not entirely convinced that it's like 
a gay haven out there for it, all the queers are just like putting it up in their high schools. I have a feeling that there's probably a lot of young people who who do kind of resonate with that that feeling of being the only person. Absolutely. I don't mean to give the idea that every single kid nowadays is in school and is able to be out and proud. What I mean is that there is much more now a possibility of finding that family mm. online. So while you can still have that feeling in school, you're not necessarily feeling like you need to hide yourself from everyone. Like you've got no family, like you need to find a sort of drag queen shop in the middle of Sheffield in order to have that acceptance. That That's all I mean. It, it just, the film feels dated, I think, because it is set now. You know, with with just the sort of phones that they're using, the fact that people want to be YouTube stars and they're filming Instagram story videos and whatnot. It's just having it set quite explicitly now makes it feel very dated and kind of stilted, I think. Do you think it would have been improved if they'd have set it when this originally happened? If it had been like a slightly 10, 20 years ago kind of vibe? Yeah, I think if they went 10 years ago and they really hammered that home and really went in more to, I think, the fact that Jamie has no one to connect with outside of this, that would have really been better. Because we've kind of got to not believe that that RuPaul has been on the air for, for, for years, you know? And that drag has become something that everyone is kind of aware of now. I mean, obviously everyone was aware of drag before, but it's become something that's much more normalized, you know? You've got to put a lot aside to sort of believe and enjoy this film, I think. And you were saying... Um, you know, about sort of what young people think of this. I, I ran a poll on my Instagram and I have a varying range of people, but it was 47% of people said they liked it. 53% of people said they hated it, which I thought was quite interesting. It was much more split. I thought I was going to be in the minority here, but um, just a very slight majority there. Just very interesting, you know? I've got a third point, but it is a very, very quick and easy point that's, that, that's just really to put the little cherry on top of the cake. I said that it's pandering, and I want to sort of uh, qualify that. The reason that it's pandering and not sort of actually in support of what it's talking about is the fact that they've got Richard E. Grant playing the older drag queen when literally any, any other British drag queen could have done it. Now, granted, Richard E. Grant gives the best performance of the film and is absolutely fantastic. But but to cast um, a straight man to play a character whose entire point in the story is to be a queer elder and who has an entire song talking about sort of the beginnings of Pride and the AIDS epidemic, it just feels very, very hollow to go for a, a, a kind of big name British actor instead of going for anyone that's actually, you know, queer and could bring a sort of truth to that character. And again, sorry, Richard E. Grant did a fantastic job. I, best, best, best performance from from any of the cast. From any of the cast, I'm just frustrated that um that came from someone that I don't think should have been cast in the role. You know, you you could have cast any older queen. You could have cast anyone that is queer themselves that could have brought that element to the character from having actually experienced it. Which I think, in a meta sense, watching the film would have given it more weight. It would have felt like, oh, well, we're, we're not bringing up the AIDS epidemic. We're not bringing up the beginnings of pride in a sort of pandering sense. Look, this is someone that actually experienced it. We're aware and we're, we're doing the work to make sure that this film is about queer people and is by queer people. You know, it just very much feels like pandering, given that they, they gave that role to someone who is a straight man, specifically a straight man that said that straight people shouldn't take gay roles not too long ago. 
Yeah, that does seem like it's uh, feels slightly contradictory, and it and and as well because it's obviously you don't you know have to be gay to be a drag queen, but the character is explicitly gay in it as mm. well. There's like a not necessarily explicitly said, but it's like very obvious that he's had a a partner who's died, and like that's part of kind of the implies about his his character. And so yes, that all does make sense. So if you were to try and salvage Jamie is, is Jamie salvageable for you is this something where you could change some some little bits and, and make it work or do you just think it's not it's not a vibe I think it's salvageable but it would have to be quite the overhaul Th there is a decent story in there the story of someone who lacks confidence I think ultimately it could be okay if you want to make just one change to make Jamie a much much better film I think that you need to change the character of Jamie to not be a selfish person or have that be his arc, right? He's a selfish person who isn't very confident and the reason that he's so self-centered is a defense for that for that um, lack of confidence. And through the medium of drag, he finds confidence and realizes that, he's, that he treats people very poorly and becomes a better person in the end who is a well-rounded person who focuses on their art, you know? So you just change the character of Jamie from... <laughs> a little princess to someone that actually really really cares about their craft you know i think that they got away with him not didn't get away with it but i think they were kind of thinking that they got away with him not practicing his craft because it is a musical and therefore you're like oh yeah he's singing he's dancing like that's how it works but that's not like he's he's never singing and dancing in reality like in the musical to do the practice yeah. there's no like kind of practice song there's like the one song that he has with the the other drag queens but it's not like a we're practicing song it's like we're hyping you up as we do your makeup song which is maybe could have had a little little edit to it to make it so that he actually there's like a reasoning and i was really hoping so they they do add a song in this musical they change out a song in the original stage musical mm -hmm which is The Legend of Loco Chanel, which is just like a really classic, like fantasy sequence song mm -hmm. that's, you know, very dramatic and um, is the story of the kind of drag queen persona of Richard E. Grant's character. They've replaced that, as Corey mentioned earlier, with a song that's about like queer history, which I thought was a really interesting change. And I wish they pushed what Jamie learned from that more. They kind of had like one line where he talks to Pretty about it and then it doesn't necessarily go anywhere else. <laughs> Sorry, can I just, that one line is, they had to fight for it. It was really hard for them. It was really, really hard for them. That's the, that's the whole vibe of that's that one vibe. line. And which... I think it, like, there was an element of like, oh yeah, actually this kind of felt like super more modern young people mm -hmm. who, who haven't, they've grown up with rights <laughs> to, to yeah. for lack of a better way of saying it. Like they weren't growing up in, in a time when, for example, I was growing up as someone who I'm sure that the TikTok teenagers would refer to as a queer elder um, at 29 years old. But I was like growing up like knowing that I was never going to get married, that I was like mm -hmm. only just been allowed to adopt children, that I would only, like all of these things were, were happening as I was growing up. And it was there was this moment of like, oh, yeah, actually, that probably is the reaction because there's if you've not been taught about this stuff in school and if you've not grown up knowing that you are not equal at what point do you start to be like, I wonder what it was like back in the day. I wonder when it changed because you've not necessarily been living through any change yourself. And I wish that they pushed that further. Like that seemed like such an interesting kind of place to be in for a young person today. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It really is. It's a very genuine reaction. I think what's quite funny to me is that the film doesn't seem interested in it. Mm. The, the film itself seems to want 
to pay lip service to it. They added that song because they want people to talk about the fact that what we're doing right now. They want people to talk about the fact that they included the queer history. They want people to be like, oh, wow, this the struggle of the gays. Look at that. I'm an ally. You struggled so much. I feel like that's the intent behind it rather than to actually highlight anything of note or worth. Because Jamie as a character, you could say that he's maybe spurred on by it, but there was nothing holding him back before before then, really. Mm. He doesn't seem interested in it, and the, and therefore the film doesn't seem interested in it in itself. So it, it, it is interesting. It, that, that's why it feels like pandering to me, you know? Because they have that song there, but they don't want to cast someone that, you know, really kind of fits that role properly. They don't want the main character to do more than give a single line about it. They don't want to explore it. They just want to almost pay lip service to it. And that's why I think that Jamie is a bad film that exists just to exploit to uh, exploit and pander to cis white gay men and also liberal allies. So, Corey, I think we've kind of reached the end of your three hot takes that did mm-hmm. indeed increase in spice as you went along. I'm going to say this was a th- absolutely storming out of the gate first episode, three out of three. I'm convinced of all three of them. You made some incredible arguments, especially with that last one where I was I was very much on the fence and I feel like you've tipped me over. And now I'm I just have this image of like a better version of that movie that just includes all of the the little things that you said to change and it's like, oh frustrating. And I think that potentially like the the answer to a lot of these kind of hot takes that you've brought in is like just more. Just more queer movies with kind of queer people at the helm or involved in the process, like thoughtfully included within within it and then it won't it won't necessarily be noteworthy of like oh this film has been praised more than it should have been or anything like that because it it won't be praised more than it should have been because there will be alternatives that are better and people won't be kind of having to like it because it's the only thing they've seen that has a a, you know british film with a gay teenager in it It's, it's not the the only thing that they're kind they've got congratulations i do not have any prize for you except for the knowledge that you have changed my mind, and I believe that's probably prize enough. I'll tell you what, this this pride of having one is prize enough for me. The love, <laughs> very well done, excellent. We love a good queer reference at the end of the episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you enjoyed this episode, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really are the backbone of the podcast and in exchange for your support, we have some great tier rewards set up over there. One of the perks on our Patreon is a queer movie watch along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons. It's very fun. So, you know, come and join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Schiaffini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, which has a lot more amazing sibling podcasts to ours that you should definitely check out. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you will hear from us very soon. Thank <laughs> you.